KPBS On Demand is supported by the National Conflict Resolution Center. Topics like political polarization and hybrid work policies can create workplace conflict. NCRC can help workplace leaders navigate divisive issues with the culture, communication, and conflict certificate. More at ncrconline.com. Love cannot be constrained, modified, or conditioned by anything which exists, for it has the nature of creation. Love is always free, infinite, giving of freedom. Nothing which is in existence can prevent love from being loving. You're listening to the Parker Edison Project. Good morning. This is season two of the Parker Edison Project, where we examine tenets of culture and show you the ways they play in our day-to-day lives. This episode deals with two things that are omnipresent in American culture, guns and drugs. Less than two weeks ago, there was a major tragedy in Buffalo and another this past Tuesday in Texas. Before I get started, I want to send up prayers and acknowledge both with a quick moment of silence. I recorded these interviews maybe a couple weeks ago. They were sitting on my desk, and I could have gotten this episode out right after the Buffalo incident, but frankly, I couldn't deal with it. It was hard. I was very much okay on the surface, but subconsciously, I just needed to process it. A strange and almost adverse thing that occurred is, amidst the recent events, I felt even more compelled to become a gun owner. Perhaps because if this is the trend, I want to be ahead of it. My original idea was to find a black-owned gun store and talk with the owner, but it turns out there are none near SD. What a surprise, right? One of the questions I wanted answered was, why do gun stores even sell assault rifles in urban areas? There are no animals there to hunt bigger than a pigeon or a possum. I can maybe understand handguns for protection, but why assault rifles? As I was asking around to find a black gun store owner, one thing I immediately noticed was everybody I talked to had a story about guns, and they were all firsthand. Same thing with drugs. Everyone had a direct experience of some kind with both, which essentially jump-started the topic of this episode. Heaters and lighters. Heaters, a street name for guns, and lighters, a common companion piece to drugs. And as I'm writing this right now, I just heard a rap lyric that reminded me of how often drugs and guns run together. I'm dangerous when drunk, I only drink beer, gin makes me sin, unable to think clear, Hennessy makes me think my enemy is getting close, boom, 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 got me shooting at a ghost. What's your earliest memory that involved a gun? Probably like five, six years old, mm. and my uncle having a gun on him uh, told us, you only pull it out when you want to use it. I would say like Columbine was a big thing. I remember when I was a little kid and it was all over the news. I don't remember my parents really talking about it, but I just remember it was like a big, it was like a big deal at the time, like a mass shooting like that, that I had heard of. I was in eighth grade, we were like 14, 13, 14. That's Michael Davis. His nickname is Q after the Omar Epps character in the movie Juice. We grew up together. He's telling a story of one of our earliest experiences. Uh, the homegirl's birthday party, chilling. Everything was good. Homeboy had his feet under his shirt or something. You spotted it. I didn't even spot it until after you pointed it to me. Like, oh, it was time to go. Homeboy had his piece under his shirt. Like, it was nothing. The memory Q just shared illustrates how from a young age, city kids are forced to pick a position in street politics. The truth is, you might not want to run with the quote-unquote bad guys, but you'll have to form some kind of relationship with them because you're sitting together in classes every day. My first guess is a rare and unique social phenomenon. 
Here's a guy who grew up in the thick of street life and chose a completely different trajectory for himself. What's special about him is he never left. He implemented all the knowledges he acquired right in the place he grew up. He brought it all back to the soil. And not that cliche safe space where Hollywood personalities pop up with security for publicity. He's in the spots where it gets really real. He's got a foot in the boardroom and a foot on the block, and he's thoroughly respected in both. I went to his neighborhood to talk to him about firearms, and we even touch on whether I should become an owner. What's your name, sir? My name is Carlton Edward Overstreet Jr., also known as CEO. That's also my title. In, in a nutshell, uh, I am a drummer mm-hmm. in many bands, but uh, shout out to Wild Side, shout out to the Will Love A Lot band, shout out to my band CEO's Rhythm Section, mm-hmm. shout out to Men For Christ, shout out to Mount Zion Baptist Church, and many, many others. Shout out to DJ Artistic, mm. um, shout out to DJ Bar One. Good dudes. And... Um, And many, uh, the San Diego Hip Hop 5K, I'm the chairman Mm -hmm. of the San Diego Hip Hop Health and Wellness 5K and Festival, Mm -hmm. co-chairman. I'm a marketing strategist. I am an advisor to the board of directors for the Starlight uh, Bowl, which is the amphitheater in Balboa Park. I am a manager, a property manager for um, an independent living facility uh, for young men between the ages of 18 and 26 that are navigating through mental illness. Uh, I serve as a protector, big brother, father, uncle figure for those young men um, that live in my home. Shout out to the Groves family. What I do for a living is I inspire, motivate, elevate, all while being sober. How, How many years of sobriety do you have? To God be the glory, I'm 10 years clean and sober to this date. What's, what's the secret to that, by the way? The secret to that is hitting a bottom and submitting to the process of a new life and understanding and purpose. And when I say bottom, I mean there's only up to go. That means that you realize that only God or your higher power can pick you up with your will and the support of a program that I like to say AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and my sponsor, Joseph Thornell, played a very, 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 very monumental role in showing me a new direction in life. I think we're in the the Lemon Grove area right now, but where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up all around San Diego. Um, Home base was Lincoln Park. Mm -hmm. That was home base, but I grew up with a single mom. We lived in Lemon Grove. We lived in Paradise Hills. Um, I lived in downtown San Diego as an adult. And um, still travel a lot with music and entrepreneurship, but um, I like to say all of San Diego is my home base. The topic of this episode is split right down the middle, and part of it is drugs, and you you actually just kind of touched on that for a second, but the part I came to chat with you about is guns. I want to know, what's your first memory that involves a gun? Clack, clack, clack. Shout out to Mitchie Slick. What's going on, bro? You know, growing up in San Diego, gun violence especially, and I'm a 1979 baby, but I guess you can throw that into the 1980s, baby. Um, 
gun violence was all around us. But I think that it hit closest to home in 1992 when my big cousin uh, Tamika Henderson got gunned down by her uh, boyfriend. That was my first reality check. Yeah, I was 13 years old. Um, and, and to have a family member that I grew up with personally, that's when I had to definitely wake up to the reality that uh, guns kill us. 13. Yeah, 13. That's big topics for a young man. Absolutely. And outside of, you know, just attending the funeral and getting the uh, initial word, I never learned how to cope or um, express how I felt about that. This is the first time that I can recall actually having a conversation as an adult about that experience at 13. You know, this is a prime example of how important having these type of discussions, especially as black men, um, are in today's society. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And I appreciate you uh, taking some time to even touch on the subject with me. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, are you currently a gun owner? I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. Just Absolutely. only because of the fact that um, I do have a felony on my record. Okay. Uh, so what I'll say is this. Um, I, 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 I'm not one to be caught lacking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and okay. I'm surrounded by support and protection at all times. You are known and seen as such a positive force in the city and we hear so much about youth from urban areas being pulled into the fast money lifestyle was there an experience that maybe led you away from that option well it was right in front of me and it still remains in front of me but in regards to the pitfalls of street life mm -hmm. absolutely a praying grandmother and a powerful single mother uh, shout out to my mom and happy belated mother's day to all mothers but it's specifically to my mother andrea louise dixon aka pumpkin she did everything in her will to keep both tiffany my younger sister and i away from street life so i like to say sports um, but because I've been so little for so long, <laughs> I had to uh, find other areas to grow um, my activity outlet. So that included uh, San Diego Junior Theater mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in Balboa Park and learning stage production, uh, both on the stage and behind the stage. And then um, I'm, I've always been a drummer since two years old. They gave me drumsticks. But uh, finding uh, a calling in the orchestra pit at San Diego Junior Theater led to me learning how to play in, a, in an orchestra pit for, for shows. So that kept me busy at an early age. Uh, in addition to that, I started my first job at the San Diego Housing Commission at age 12. Mm -hmm. um, so there was no sitting around the house in my household. Mm -hmm. There was no, there was always something to do. And there was always a new circle of friends that weren't really entertained by the street life that I could credit my mom and my village for protecting me with. In your opinion, is there a positive role for guns that they can play in the black community? When utilized to protect, guns serve a purpose. Free trigger happy people, I don't support that. 
but mm-hmm. I do believe that all visionaries deserve protection. I'm kind of on the fence right now, and I'm, I'm trying to decide uh, whether or not to become a gun owner. I never have before. I'm 44 now, and uh, you know we're we're in a very unique time. Let me ask you this, to, and I want to—I'm purposely interrupting you before you get into your full thought. Mm-hmm. Do you understand your triggers? I'm talking about emotional triggers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm heavy into therapy these days. Okay, good. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. So just understand the correlation behind your triggers and the trigger. The trigger once pulled can be life or death, right? Guns aren't for everyone. That's why you hire security guards. That's why you have surveillance. That's why you protect your chest moves. But let's not live in this false sense of reality that you can be in a grocery store these days, a movie theater at a concert, and someone will just mass shoot. But I'm going to fast forward to something, so um, definitely keep your seatbelt on. Okay, okay. 2010, the mother to my child was shot four times. She was hanging out at 2 a.m.-ish uh, in Emerald Hills at a park, and she was with a friend of hers. She was seven months pregnant. I went to work and got a phone call. You know, hey, your daughter's mom's all on the news, man. Is everything okay? She got shot. Like, wow. You know, I was extremely enraged by the fact that she was hanging out in Southeast San Diego at that time of night, pregnant. But uh, yeah, two assailants came out of the park and shot her four times. They had to induce labor so you're talking about the impact of guns it's lived at my front door and i'm still working through the pain and coping and learning through sobriety how to accept things that i cannot change but yeah i just wanted to let you know that i've been impacted by guns brother just just in case they want to get a hold of you man social media and whatnot What's, what's your handle? How can okay, they get you? Okay, absolutely. And, and thank you for your guidance on that. Instagram, you can follow me at CarryOnCEO. That's C-A-R-R-Y-O-N-C-E-O. That's at CarryOnCEO. Also, um, for Instagram, please follow at SDHipHop5K. That's mm-hmm. the number five. At SDHipHop5K. 5k brother thank you for your time man. many blessings on blessings carry on is my moniker and i mean that um to you to your vision and i'm grateful for your gifts and your talent to our community thank you brother stay blessed peace peace i'm still on the fence as to whether or not i'll arm myself it's a big deal to me carlton expressed support in my thinking about such a heavy decision another thing he mentioned was his sobriety i didn't say it then but that's something he and I share. I've been an avid user of recreational drugs for a long time. For personal reasons, I've been abstaining for the last nine, 10 months. I just wanted to take a break for a while. I'm not even on a complete break. I just kind of changed my drug of choice. I consult with an apothecarist who tailor fit a couture tea tonic and tincture to me to specifically repair my nervous system. When we come back from commercial, you hear from a gentleman who's doing something similar. He's administering some ancient plants in the sacred way that they were intended. 
It's a rather insightful conversation. Stick around. Stay tuned for more of the PEP. You are listening to DJ Rube. Yeah, it's me on Not So Serious Radio on KKSM AM 1320 in Oceanside, streaming worldwide. And here, right here in San Diego at PalomarCollegeRadio.com. And you can also find us on the TuneIn and Live 365 apps under KKSM. Hey, folks. My name is Bob Surratt. I'm a librarian and host of Listener's Advisory, the San Diego Public Library podcast. Listener's Advisory is the audio access point that connects users with SDPL services, facilities, and staff. Tune in twice monthly for a mixture of narrative-driven segments, in-depth interviews, and roundtable discussions about everything from professional recommendations to community-centric matters. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or at mysdpl.org forward slash listeners advisory. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. And now back to the PEP. There's a subtle degree of classism in rap music. For instance, if you're on a major label, you're successful, upper level. If you're on SoundCloud, you're considered low level or lo-fi. Same thing with drugs and medication. Drugs are for the low class and medication is for the upper class. But they're made from the same ingredients and result in the same effect. To extend that metaphor, cannabis is mainstream now. It's been commercialized like rap music. Big money dispensaries are like record labels. They really don't care how you use it as long as they get paid. Meanwhile, mom and pop growers that move it get looked down on like unsigned underground rappers. See, this rap dish really just like selling smoke. My next guest, he doesn't rap. He's a fan of it. He wouldn't say he's a healer, but after sitting with him, I might. It's a gorgeous day today, and I really appreciate your time. What's your name, sir? My name is Lil After. Where are we today? We're in my humble home. Okay. Uh, somewhere in some f- I can hear those narrows. So let me start by asking, would you describe yourself as a doctor, a therapist, or a naturopath? Uh, I wouldn't describe myself as any of those. To be honest, the, the phrase or the term that works best for me is like a guide or a Sherpa. Sherpas are the gentlemen you pay if you want to trek through the Himalayas. Usually, you know, Westerners who are coming to the mountains, who aren't adept to the altitude, who don't know their way around, they'll hire a Sherpa who's lived in those mountains for a very long time, knows them like the back of their hand. It's not a uh, real good professional term for what I do. There's one other term that I like that comes from, uh, it's a Spanish term, and the term is curendero. Curendero is a healer, but a healer who works with more natural healing modalities. A healer who work with plants as opposed to a doctor that you would find working in a hospital. How would you describe the work you do? 
I work with individuals who need major transformative experiences in their life. So they may be suffering from uh, PTSD. They may be suffering from some form of illness that Western medicine is having a very hard time uh, resolving. They may be going through a particularly challenging time in their life. It could be emotional, psychological, uh, physical. And I work with traditional plant medicines in order to treat the body and the mind and the spirit. How'd you get your start in this field? I got introduced to ayahuasca from a dear friend, and I immediately found a strong affinity for it. I spent a lot of time and energy participating in that world. So um, to date, I've drank ayahuasca more than 30 times. Um, and that opened my life's journey up to other plant medicines. And so it was after about five years of a very deep personal practice that wasn't limited to just um, ayahuasca, but also involved Bufo, which is 5-MeO-DMT, also involved Combo, which is a poisonous frog venom that comes out of the jungles of the Amazon, some very uh, deep work with MDMA, um, also with psilocybin. It just started to become clear to me that my place was as a facilitator and a co-facilitator, as a guide or as a Sherpa to help other people navigate these experiences. Who's your ideal client? Nowadays, I work almost exclusively with a smaller demographic. The work I do is highly focused. My ideal client is somebody who has come to me through another one of my ideal clients, and I'll just leave it at that. Just because of the nature of the work that I do, I work solely off of referral basis, and I work within um, some small circles. Can you describe a typical session? Yeah, it depends on the, on the client. I have a, a broader team of highly skilled professionals around me. And when someone comes into our care, we work very diligently to figure out what the proper protocol for them is. That includes um, initial contact, that includes uh, the initial introduction, conversation, intake. It, it includes the work we do itself with the plant medicine or um, the synthetic medicine, and then also all of the follow-up integration. So it's a very like involved process. So the first phase is luminality, which is a cleansing and clearing that takes place at all levels of being as they get close to the work. Let's say ayahuasca in this instance. So there has to be a cleansing and clearing in the individual's life. Uh, that begins with their diet. Diet includes media intake, food intake. In general, we coach them to get quieter with themselves, to retreat within themselves, to become more self-aware and self-reflective. And then we have the ritual itself. And depending on the medicine, that's anywhere from a three-day process to a two-hour process. And then the final phase is what's called communitas, or what could also be termed as integration. Integration, in an indigenous sense, is when you leave, you leave the mystery, you leave the ritual, you leave this altered state of consciousness, and you go to the elders in the community, go to the aunties and the uncles, and you talk to them about your experience. It's what helps ground you back into the culture and the community at large. 
And in order for that to take place, you need individuals around you who've been there and who've done that. These are the three phases defined and prescribed and discovered by a famous anthropologist, a guy named Victor Turner. He wrote a very profound book called The Ritual Process, where he discovered the underpinnings of ritual work and why it's effective in indigenous cultures all around the world. In a very tangible, physical sense, is the work that you're doing, is this applying a medicine that physically repairs the body, or is it repairing or altering an experience in the emotions? This is the this is the real truth. Is that uh, a human being is has three distinct yet inseparable aspects. They have a body, they have a mind, and they have a spirit. The mind and the spirit are a little bit harder to capture with a yardstick and with conventional scientific measuring tools, you know. But as an individual, you can experience your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions. And we have this overriding sense that we are more than just a body. Indigenous medicine works at all three levels of our being. It treats the body, the mind, and the soul. Whereas Western medicine's limitations is that they are focused entirely and completely on the body. I sometimes think of it as true medicine, as a medicine that's working at an even deeper and more sophisticated level than Western medicine. Because I don't believe it's very wise or very skillful to leave the mind or the soul out of the equation in life. Wholeheartedly agreed. Is it a requirement that practitioners in your field partake in their own psychedelic experiences? Yeah, experience matters. Not all of the people who participate, who are guides, are always as as deep in the medicine. Mm-hmm. It's really important to do your do your research and um, be very sincere about who you choose to work with. You also might want to look at the life of the person um, that you're working with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, get a sense of their friends. Get a sense of really who they are and the people who they're surrounded with. And, um, you you mentioned ayahuasca a second ago, and I've been hearing a lot about ayahuasca and DMT experimentation uh, in pop culture. Hmm. Do you have any thoughts on on those becoming more popular? like in the mainstream it's an unstoppable force mm-hmm. you know that the secret is out and celebrities and people in influential positions are starting to drink this medicine um, and more and more people are coming to this medicine i don't have any reservation to it i have a lot of faith that the that this medicine has its own innate intelligence and that it's guiding its own path through human consciousness do you foresee a time when when this medicine might be available by prescription the way cannabis currently is? I don't know if that will happen. And I don't have a clear sense if that will be a good thing or a bad thing. I don't believe you can separate the healing experience from the people who bring you the healing experience. I think there are two aspects of a greater whole. They've been drinking ayahuasca in the jungles of the Amazon for at least six or 7,000 years. It's a tradition that's considerably older than Buddhism. And so we don't need to reinvent that wheel. Making ayahuasca legal in and of itself so that anyone can pick it up and play with it 
that may not be the wisest decision. So the full integration of the legality of something like that is probably going to end up being a more complex situation. You know, the spirit of these medicines are always best expressed through the hands of a of a devotee who has really devoted their lives to working with these medicines. You know, the idea of the legalization of anything is funny to me. You know, what about the sacredization of things? One one last question. Can you tell me one more time, what, what type of tea is this? Uh, this is an old tea that a friend of mine stored for many years. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. There's some parts of that interview I couldn't completely share with you. We're talking about something deep in counterculture and repercussions could come from divulging certain details. That speaks to the hypocrisy at play. We're smack dab in the middle of an opioid crisis. Big Pharma's making money hand over fist. Recklessly distributing deadly doses with little concern for the wreckage they'll cause. And even though we're all completely aware of this, I still have to tiptoe with this interview to avoid the negative ramifications my interviewee could face for trying to help people to holistically heal their traumas. There's something really wrong with that. Really wrong with that. Anyway, part of my soapbox. I'm going to keep the show moving. My closing guest, he brought us a fire track. He's a healer, but his medicine is in his music. What's your name and what city are you in? Noah James. Right now, I'm in Fontana, California, Illinois Empire. This episode was about drugs and guns and about uh, the different mm. points of views with them. You express a very unique take and relationship with violence in your music. Yeah, it's a, it's a paradox. Could you possibly expound on that just a little? Drugs and guns been like a beautiful nightmare in my life. To so my mom doing crack cocaine, dad selling crack me selling drugs with my mama, cousins on drugs. Then to a point to where I go to therapy and get diagnosed with bipolar, where um, certain drugs help me or smoking marijuana help me or doing peyote or doing ayahuasca or some type of psilocybin. And that actually helped me and brought me to that balance. What, what lessons do you hope people take from the art you do? First, love out loud. Like... Love out loud. Pay attention to the love that's directly in front of you. Don't don't go out on this wild goose chase for this love you're looking for or searching for. Most likely is right in front of you. Fight the shadow king every day if you need to. Like them shadows, them deep dark spots, them subconscious thoughts that come in when you're vulnerable. That, that voice in your head that stops you from doing what you need to do or that gets in your way or catch fate with that motherfucker every single day. Wear that motherfucker out. With my music, yeah, that's that's what I really, really want people to kind of to get. What's, what's No Games about? Um, the first bar is... The first couple of bars, I told the devil, not today, you gotta go away. I have no time to play. That's my granny's words verbatim. Mm. So when I used to come home from shows or coming home from bouncing, you know, my granny would like, we gotta get some spirits off you. So she would put oil on my forehead, oil on the bottom of my feet, and she put oil on the 
on the door and she make me swing the door open and close and she would say, told the devil, not today. You got to go away. <laughs> I had no time to play. I'm so honored that the first bars is my granny word for word. This track is called No Games, produced by DJ Nobody, off my album, Granny Said, executive produced by my granny. I told the devil, not today. You gotta go away. I have no time to play. Hit a life like, like a Bobby Boucher. Every day I pray. Every day I'm praying. But I escape easy. Right above the hate. Never move with a fake. Never move with a snake. Let my heart lead the way. My faith is to pay. Say what you need to say. Move on and seize the day. Stay colorful, boy. Just like Easter Day, resurrecting eat the cake, especially as Jean Grey. Love how the Phoenix tastes, love how the Phoenix tastes. Finger licking, finger licking, all in her grace. Ease your mind, easy. Take your time, take it. Love yourself, you gotta shine, gotta shine. You gotta shine, gotta shine. You gotta shine, gotta shine. So today, today, I want you to say, no games, no games. No games, no games, you know James, no games, no games, no games, worthy, 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 you know James, you know James, I'm here to play, but no games, no games, no games, no games, no games, no games, you know James, you know James, no games, no games, ease your mind, easy, take your time, take it, love yourself, you gotta shine, gotta shine, you gotta shine, gotta shine, you gotta shine, gotta shine, so today, today, I want you to say, no games. Stopping in. The Parker Edison Project is produced and hosted by yours truly, Parker Edison, and the good people at Platform Collection. Be sure to subscribe and catch the next episode on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any comments or questions, visit theparkeredisonproject.com or hit us on Instagram at the PE Project. My guy, Kurt Conan, is audio production manager. Lisa J. Morissette is Operations Manager, and John Decker is Associate General Manager for Content. This programming is made possible in part by the KPBS Explore Content Fund. I love saying that because it reminds me of Sesame Street. Y'all stay safe out there. KPBS On Demand is supported by the National Conflict Resolution Center. Topics like political polarization and hybrid work policies can create workplace conflict. NCRC can help workplace leaders navigate divisive issues with the culture, communication, and conflict certificate. More at ncrconline.com.